Spring, is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely their fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Try the Superlight Tree Runner with a cushy foam midsole and breathable eucalyptus fiber upper. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. So, what can you do in a Superlight shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24. Ready to set off on your captivating journey into the botanical world? NYBG's brand new online education program, Plant Studio, offers bite-sized courses tailor-made for you to pursue your passion as a budding plant person. Guided by professionals, dig into gardening, botany, floral design, landscape design, and more. Grow your skills with online learning your way. Register at nybg.org. Ditch the clowns on the left and the jokers on the right and join Michael Smirkanish right here in the middle. This is the Smirkanish Podcast for Independent Minds. A Yale Law School student, former summer employee of mine, is in the on-deck circle, but this will require some explanation as to why, on his way to class today, I wanted to make sure that I spent just a couple of minutes with him. It's because he popped into my mind as I was reading a pair of pieces this weekend about the thinking of a 30-year-old widely respected for his political acumen who now thinks that Democrats are being led astray by 20-somethings. And the chattering class, as Mark Halpern would say, the gang of 500, everybody's buzzing about his theories. He is arguably the most influential person you've never heard of. His name is David Shore. David Shore is not my guest, mind you. I hope I'm explaining this well. David Shore is the 30-year-old widely respected for his political acumen who has offered these thoughts that have created a buzz. My guest in the on-deck circle is the embodiment of what he's describing. Who's David Shore? Well, there were two pieces that ran this past weekend about him. One, a backgrounder at Politico Mag by Ian Ward. Uh, The other, more of an analysis piece for the New York Times written by Ezra Klein. The Klein piece is posted at Smirconish.com today because I know you're going to want to know more about this. So go to the website or look in today's newsletter. I hope you're a subscriber and it will be at your fingertips. Ezra Klein notes about David Shore. By 2012, he was deep inside President Barack Obama's reelection campaign, putting together the fabled Golden Report, which modeled the election daily. The forecast proved spookily accurate. It ultimately predicted every swing state but Ohio within a percentage point and called the national popular vote within one-tenth of a percentage point. Okay, so he's a Nate Silver type number cruncher. These pieces that ran about him raise a provocative question. Are Democrats now, with control of the White House, a slim margin in the House, a tie, but it's 50 plus one in the Senate, Are they right now holding the most power that they'll have for the next decade? And you know what the problem is? This description came from the Ian Ward Politico piece. 
to anyone who has spent time in democratic politics in the past decade, a certain type of young person will immediately be familiar. Bright-eyed, old enough to drive a car, but not old enough to rent one without insurance fees, maybe taking a gap year before starting college or else filling a period of post-graduation pre-employment idleness. They probably majored or are majoring in political science or public policy or whatever the equivalent area of study offered by their school is, raised on a steady diet of West Wing optimism with a healthy dose of Veep pessimism. They've likely spent a summer or two sweating it out in Washington, D.C., cranking out esoteric policy memos for junior members, assistant deputy legislative director, or else doing research for a grizzled senior fellow at an upper Massachusetts Avenue think tank. They might have a faded campaign button from some bygone presidential race dangling from their, T.C., how do you pronounce this? You would know this. Fall Raven? Fall Raven? Fuel. Fuel Raven? Yeah. Backpack? I can picture them because they, they have a unique Something insignia, like right. right? Very expensive. Maybe for Bernie or more likely for Pete. I think it's when I got to the Pete thing. I'm like, I know this guy. I know many of these people. But what if hidden below their laptop stickers and campaign totes, these young people represent a real political risk for Democrats? And what if, contrary to conventional Democratic wisdom, the power these young people wield within the party is actually hurting its chance at the ballot box rather than helping it? That is David Shore's thesis, that that is taking place. He knows because he was once one of them. Today, he's 30. At the age of 20, he joined Barack Obama's re-election campaign to develop and oversee its election forecasting system, a complex statistical modeling system that helped campaign staff decide, decide how and when to spend money to optimize support in specific areas. Listen to this. This is a really interesting tidbit. <clears throat> so in 2020... This wonderkind, during the height of that summer's racial justice protests, was fired from the progressive data firm Civis Analytics for tweeting out an academic study suggesting that riots have historically hurt Democrats in major elections. During the protests after the killing of George Floyd, Shore, who had few followers at the time, tweeted, quote, post MLK assassination race riots reduced Democratic vote share in surrounding counties by two percent, which was enough to tip the 1968 election to Nixon. Nonviolent protests, he noted, tended to help Democrats electorally. The numbers came from Omar Wasau, a political scientist who now teaches at Pomona College. But online activists responded with fury. And he was fired. So David Shore, he's like the embodiment of exactly the type of wokeness that he says is going to be a problem uh, for the Democratic Party. In other words, he's the embodiment insofar as he makes an analytical point in the midst of the George Floyd protests and says, you know, back in the end of the 60s, this type of thing didn't go well for D's. And for making that observation based on data, he got fired. That's what turned him into a star. 
His personal story became proof of his political theory that the Democratic Party is trapped in an echo chamber of Twitter activists and woke staff members, that it's lost touch with the working class voters of all races, that it needs to win elections, and even progressive institutions dedicated to data analysis are now refusing to face the hard facts of public opinion and electoral geography. One last thing, if, if, if I may. So by way of illustration, uh, there were two political scientists who found that 23 percent of Obama staffers cited income inequality as the most important issue facing the country. In other words, when you when you ask the Obama staff comprised of people just like David Shore, hey, what's the most important issue? You find that they were stressing income inequality. And yet polls from that election cycle found fewer than 1% of the voters listed the gap between rich and poor as the most important issue. He's not saying that this is all a deliberate hijacking. There's no conspiracy here. But rather, what he's saying is we need to pick more. We Democrats, says, sure, need to pick more popular items that we make the mainstays of our campaign. Otherwise, we're not winning back the white working class. Finally, a quote from the Politico analysis, and then I'll get to my guest. This is this is sure himself speaking to oversimplify things. And I want to know this is what the survey question asks today. Do you agree with this to oversimplify things a bit? Swing voters get their news from mainstream news sources, and mainstream news sources basically report on what political professionals and campaigns tell them. And so this means that the public-facing communication choices and policy choices of people who work in democratic politics and on democratic campaigns, and to be clear, of liberal-leaning journalists who go and write about these things, is all mechanically the thing that drives public opinion. I think that's like a bit of a radical statement, but I think it's true, and I think political science bears it out. So that's it. Educational polarization has made the Senate even more biased against Democrats than it was. And atop this analysis, you've got this guy, Shore, who has this influential theory of what Democrats must do to avoid a calamity in next year's midterm. Democrats are on the edge of an electoral abyss. To avoid it, they need to win states that lean Republican. To do that, they need to internalize that they are not like and do not understand the voters they need to win over. Swing voters in these states are not liberals, are not woke, and do not see the world in the way that people who staff and donate to Democratic campaigns do. That was the way Ezra Klein summed up David Shore. So let me now say hello to one of these folks. This would be Jamie Pilch. Jamie, thank you so much for allowing me to intrude on your day. I know how busy you are. Well, thank you for having me, Michael. How have you been? So your station in life is very important to this conversation. And and it may sound braggadocious, but you're entitled. You are a Yale Law School student. You did your undergraduate work at Harvard. All true, right? Yes. When you graduated from Harvard, you jumped in your car. I forget the make and model. You went in search of America in a certain kind of way. Explain what I'm referring to. Yes. So soon after I graduated from college, I hopped in my 2011 CRV and I road tripped across the country 
for roughly three and a half months, and I talk to people about what it means to be a good citizen and essentially what America means to them. I still think it's a great book, and I, I hope it gets uh, published. You worked for me for a time period and helped me launch a new look of my website at Spurconish.com, for which I still thank you. Along the way, you ended up getting even more of the political bug. You got involved in the McConnell reelection. I'm embarrassed to say I don't remember the name of his opponent, even though at one point it looked like she might beat him. What am I talking about? Yes, so I worked for Amy McGrath on her right. Senate campaign That's in it. Kentucky against Mitch McConnell, and I was her speechwriter and policy director. And then went to work for Mayor Pete. Uh, did did not work for Mayor Pete. Oh, what did you do in the presidential cycle? I didn't. I just the Senate campaign was in the presidential cycle. Hmm. Wow, you became quite a malingerer at that point. I mean, my God. <laughs> yes. Yes. Jay- uh, and now law school. Jamie, so I I assume that this I know how consuming law school is, especially at a school like that, which you're attending. But I assume that this David Shore analysis hit your radar independent of me. Is that fair? Yes, absolutely. I, for one, love to read Ezra Klein's column. And also the analysis in this piece uh, relates to a piece that I wrote for Politico back in January after I got off the McGrath campaign. And so it's 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 an issue of, of how the Democratic Party defines itself. And it's one that is enormously important to me. When I read it in a good way, I thought of you. Well, I'm flattered. Thank you, Michael. But do you think that there's there's truth to what he's saying, that well-intentioned as bright young people like yourself are who are progressive, you're leading the party astray because some that the party needs to reach aren't going to be accessible through the issues that matter most to you? I mean, I think it's absolutely a question that all Democratic staffers, all voters should be asking themselves, especially given what I think everyone in the party would agree is are the stakes of the next election cycles, uh, given where the Republican Party is headed. I think that maybe where I would disagree with David Shore is sort of on two issues. One, I can say as someone who worked on a campaign that the people who are calling the shots on campaigns are the ad, the ad makers, the pollsters, people who are older, people who do tend to be more moderate. And I can attest to the fact that everything is polled. And so I think that maybe he is ungenerous if, if his concern is that Democrats aren't taking into concern the popularity of things with voters or how their messages play. I don't think that's entirely fair because I saw uh, firsthand that that is almost entirely what defines Democratic campaigns, almost sometimes I think to a fault. And this would go to my second point, which is that I think a place where the Democratic Party is maybe failing both of its constituencies, the moderate older voters who Shore is talking about and the young progressive voters who, uh, and, and staffers whom he's concerned with, is that I think that the party has struggled to come up with sort of a defining message and vision of America that really resonates uh, broadly with people. And I think that the, the Democrats could really push for things that are quite popular with both constituencies. I would say, for example, democracy reform. Uh, I think that the latest polling has the Democrats voting rights bill at polling at roughly 70 percent or Joe Biden's Build Back Better plan, which has consistently pulled over 60 percent. So these things are popular. 
I think where the Democrats maybe sometimes come up short in them is that they don't necessarily tell a story that connects with voters. And I think that there's certain language and ideas of what what is the country we're trying to build as a party that I think would really strengthen the party. And I would just use, Michael, as a quick contrast. The Republican Party is very effective as sort of using the concept of freedom as a as a as a sledgehammer for everything. We're going to make you more free. And whether or not that's actually true, when when voters hear that, they react very viscerally and organically and positively toward that idea. And so I think that the Democrats need to be thinking about what's a concept and what are ideas and what's a what's a story of this country and our party that can connect with both of these voters. And I genuinely believe it's possible and it's not an either or proposition. Ian Ward, writing for Politico magazine, summarizing Shore's theory, says this. Although young people as a whole turn out to vote at a lower rate than the general population, the aforementioned type of young person is actually overrepresented within the core of the Democratic Party's infrastructure. Actually, let me stop there. Do you agree with that so far? Yes, I would say that absolutely uh, that that there are more highly educated young people in the Democratic Party uh, staff and sort of organizational structure. I would quickly say, though, Michael, that I've, uh, those people tend to largely be white. And so in that way, the, the staff organization is not representative of the party of the country. Accor- back, back to the summary. According to Shore, the problem with this permanent class of young staffers is that they tend to hold views that are both more liberal and more ideologically motivated than the views of the coveted median voter. And yet they yield a significant amount of influence over the party's messaging and policy decisions. Your quick response? I, I would say that as someone who worked as a speechwriter and policy person, I didn't necessarily think that uh, it were it was my views that were being represented or overly represented yeah. on the campaign. Okay. Uh, I would say that everything that I did was sort of through the lens of what will and what will not connect with Kentucky voters. Uh, everything was through the lens of sort of the polling team that we were working through. And so there were maybe certain things that we emphasized more or less based on what we were hearing from voters. And so uh, while I absolutely think that you could say that young people are quite present on campaigns, uh, I would also say that, the, again, sort of going back to what I said earlier, the people who make the shots about what's published by the campaign often tend to be older and more seasoned. And finally, as a result, Democrats end up spending a lot of time talking about issues that matter to college-educated liberals, but not to the multiracial block of moderate voters that the party needs to win over to secure governing majorities in Washington. Jamie Pilch says what? I would say the absolute Democratic Party needs to spend more time thinking about what matters to moderate black and Latino voters if it wants to sustainably win elections and also has to find a way to keep enough uh, uh, working class white voters in the fold without ever compromising on on those other core constituencies. By the way, it just occurred to me why I associate you with Mayor Pete. It is because while you were in my employ, you booked him for my program and said to me, you need to know about this guy. He's the mayor of South Bend, and he's a comer. Yes, that that is one hundred percent true, and <laughs> okay. and I I believe that then, and I, I think that that has been borne out. Oh, I don't know. Maybe maybe David Shore would say otherwise. Maybe he would say uh, Mayor Pete's part of the problem. Jamie, what class do you have today? Uh, I begin today with civil procedure, oh. and then contracts, 
and then constitutional law. So it's a busy day at law school. Yeah, man, you, you got a full plate. Civ Pro is yeah. tough. I wish you yes, all good. I wish you all good things. Thank you so much for allowing me to intrude on your busy day. Well, thank you so much, Michael. It's Jamie Pilch, ladies and gentlemen. There you go. Jamie, he's, he's got it, right? He's thought it through. You can see why he's at Yale Law School. Amazing. <laughs> wow. Okay. Yet another one of your interns or people working for you going places. Unbelievable. Ladies and gentlemen, you are well equipped now to answer today's survey question. Are highly educated young liberals leading Democrats down a path toward political obscurity? Vote at Smirconish.com. Hear more of Michael Smirconish on Sirius XM's POTUS, Channel 124. Live weekdays from 9 a.m. to noon east or anytime on the SXM app. Connect with Michael on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and at Smirconish.com. Michael Smirconish for Independent Minds. Spring, is that you? Warmer temps mean new Albert styles. Meet the Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely their fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Try the Superlight Tree Runner with a cushy foam midsole and breathable eucalyptus fiber upper. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. So, what can you do in a Superlight shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24.